What a great testimony. Thank you. I'm glad I got to see that. They came from somewhere back in our long ago. That sounds like a doobie song, doesn't it? Um, they were this small, tiny, single-celled, yellow, just watch and you'll see. Minions. Minions have been on this planet far longer than we have. They go by many names. Dave, Carl, Paul, Mike. Oh, that one is Norbert. He's an idiot. They're all different, but they all share the same goal. To serve the most despicable master they could find. They had one goal. To serve the most despicable master they could find. That's not minions. That's man. And you see that nowhere in this world anywhere better than you do in the word of God. And nowhere in the word of God any better than you do in the book of Judges. I hope you've got a copy of God's word. And you'll open it this evening with me to the book of Judges. If you'll get to the 13th chapter... Um, I'll pick it up there in just a moment. I want to honor the Lord tonight by opening his word, preaching from it, and um, taking you through what your pastor, I want to honor what he asked me to do, and he gave me an assignment, and that was to preach the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of Judges, um, uh, and I'm honored to be here. I thank Pastor Joby for giving me this invitation and opportunity. And the fact of the matter is that's about eight sermons for me to get through those chapters, but I'll try to condense it all in the next three hours if you'll let me do that, okay? Good. Judges, you are in Judges. Your pastor's been leading you through Judges. You've uh, obviously, by the time you come to the middle section of Judges where we are tonight, uh, you have uh, picked up the cycle that's going on. There is this consistent cycle uh, that is taking place among the people of God, this rebellion, uh, this uh, retaliation or retribution that comes on the people of God, and then their repentance, they cry out for repentance, and then God comes with a judge, with a deliverer, and he rescues them and restores them, and they do it all to repeat the cycle again. And, and as you go through the book of Judges, what you'll discover is this, is that each cycle gets a little longer and each uh, period of judgment gets a little more intense and each rebellion gets a little deeper and a little darker until you get to the end of the book and you're going to be in some incredibly dark pages of the Word of God. Uh, that's the book of Judges. And the time period is about 350 years and unless you go to the end of the life of Samuel, who is the last of the judges, and uh, that is going to take you about uh, 400 to 420 years. So you've got this period of time where Israel's just caught in what seems like this unbreakable cycle uh, that they keep going through in this rebellion against God. God chooses a deliverer. And tonight we're coming to this deliverer that God has elected, that he's chosen, that he is going to bring to deliver his people, and he's fascinating. I don't know if you've ever really looked and read much about the life of Samson, uh, but I want you just to listen to this. You've got a guy 
that an angel shows up to his mom and his dad and predicts that he's going to be born. Now, his mother's never been able to conceive, and uh, his birth is miraculous. He's set apart from the womb to do one thing, and that is to deliver the people of God. Does this begin to sound like anybody to you? Does this begin to look familiar? Does this begin to sound like another story that you've heard of somewhere? Listen, this guy is chosen by God. He grows up and he begins to do what God's called him to do. And do you know who turned on him? A people called the tribe of Judah. You get to the New Testament and you're going to know that name by the name of Judas. There's no J in Hebrew. It's Judah. And in the New Testament, Judah also becomes Judas, which is Judas. And Judah takes this Jew who was sent to deliver them, and they hand him over to the Philistines, to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are going to kill him. Are y'all with me? You, you there? Now watch this. If you're there in the 15th chapter, as they're going to take his life, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey. That's just the safest way to go with it. Uh, it's the jawbone of a donkey that he takes and he slays these Philistines with it. Now watch this in verse 17 of chapter 15. When he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand and he named that place Ramoth-Lehi. Now Ramoth means a hill. And Lehi is a place of bones. So he names that place basically, and it's this particular bone right here it becomes a hill of skulls. Again, does that begin to sound like anything to you? And here's the amazing thing. He prays, he's thirsty after fighting, and he calls out and he says, you are given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And look at what God does, verse 19. God splits the hollow place that is in Lehi so that out of this hill that is a hill of bones, a hill of skulls, comes water that gives life. Jiminy Cricket, if you can't see that, I don't know what in the world to do. You can't paint a better picture than that. His name is Shimshon in the Hebrew. We call him Samson, and his name literally means this, like the sun. Here's a man who comes, miraculous birth, birth foretold of an angel, and he is given an incredible gift by God. Now, if you've ever wondered, was there ever really a real superhero? This is the guy. There's really an Iron Man, and you find him in the Old Testament. There's really a Captain America. There's really a Hulk, and you find him right here in the pages of Judges, and his name happens to be Shimshon, Samson, like the sun. But what you discover is this, in this man of incredible strength, God gave him a gift like he's never given anyone else, this tremendous ability, this tremendous power, this unbelievable strength that he has, there's a weakness that is hidden there. And I want you to see this. You begin in chapter 13 with his birth, but now look in chapter 14, verse 1, 
it picks up. After the birth narrative, you come to this first verse, chapter 14, and you read these words, Samson went down the Timnah. Now, I've just got to stop and throw all this stuff in there because all of this is painting a picture. It's giving you an incredible picture that you don't want to miss. Um, the picture is this. Timnah was right, literally, it was right on the border of Israel is here and the Philistine territory is here. And he stands honestly on the line. He stands right on the border of where the people of God are to be and he straddles that line and he steps over into the Philistine territory. And the Philistines are always in the Old Testament that which is completely and totally outside of God's will. He walks over, he, he no longer walks along the line, he steps over the line into Timnah and watch at the words right here, still in verse one, he saw a woman. He saw a woman. And you cannot get away from the fact that uh, it was not just he saw a woman, he looked at a woman. You can't get away from what's being suggested here and it is a, 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 a sexual look. It's a look of lust. He looks at this woman and he lusts for this woman and he comes back in verse two and he says, I saw a woman. He's speaking to his father and his mother and he just demands, go get her for me because that's the way it was done in that day. Uh, she looks good. Look at the end of verse three. Uh, this is where you pick up on what's going on. Go get her for me. She looks good to me. I'm attracted to her. She excites the flesh. She causes my heart to pound and my pulse to race. And this is what I want in life. And you see now this incredibly gifted man, powerful as he is, and yet behind all of that power, there's a little flaw. And that flaw is that he is going to find the most despicable master that he can find and he's going to serve it, and it's immorality. Now watch at the digression. Get to chapter 16. You get to chapter 16 in verse 1, and it says, Now Samson went to Gaza. I've just got to go with this. Let me tell you, if Timnah was right here on the border, Gaza is all the way as far into Philistine territory as you can get. You could not get any deeper into into. Uh, Philistine country than Gaza. If you go any further, you're into the Mediterranean Ocean. I've been to that part of the world. I've had the opportunity to be in Israel about 16 times. And that part down in there is as far down. And well, you don't want to go there this day and time because it is the Palestinian territory. Tremendous unrest. But in Samson's day, it was the very heart of everything that was against who God is and who God was. He goes there. And look at what the text says now. He doesn't see a woman. Look at what it says. Go back to the text, verse 1, chapter 16, and it says this, he sees a harlot. And this time he doesn't go to his mom and dad. He doesn't go and say, hey, go get her for me. The Bible simply says, this is what's going to happen. I don't think it takes place right here. I think it's what's coming. It says he went into her. In other words now, he is completely driven by his sex drive. His sex drive, now I know why Pastor Joby asked me to come and do this. <laughs> it's a great time to leave 
the city and the state, isn't it? Well, th- that's, that's what he does. That's what he's driven by. The master in his life now is this whole drive of uncontested temptation, which James says, when it conceives, it gives birth to sin, and sin brings destruction. Now, I want you to watch this. I hope you've got something to take some notes with tonight and watch this with me because I want to take you through this. If you're struggling with sin tonight, praise God. If you're struggling with it, here's the problem is when you don't struggle with it. When it's uncontested in your life, I just give into it. I just do. Whatever I want to do, I just do. If you're struggling tonight with uh, some sin, some temptation, then I'm thankful to God that you're struggling with it. My great concern is when there's no longer a struggle. When we just get like Samson does. He just gives himself to it. He just yields himself to it. And I want you to understand this, that whatever master, whatever it is that you pursue, that becomes your master. Whatever it is that you pursue. Paul put it like this, Whomever you obey, that's your master. For some of you tonight, may be the very thing that Samson pursued. And what he pursued was the most despicable God. And it's a God that most of our generation today pursues. Now, if I tell you, say, okay, tell me what to do. There's, there's only one, and, and honestly, before the Lord, there's only one instruction in Scripture to do with sexual immorality. Paul says it. James says it. Um, Joseph did it. There's, no, there's nothing. Run. Just run. You run from it. Leave your coat in the inner hand and just run from it. You don't stand and debate it. You don't stand and carry on a theological conversation with it. You don't stand there and talk to it and carry on a conver- some kind of just back and forth with this thing. You cannot do it. And, and, I, and I'm a man. I, I just thought I'd let y'all know that. But since I'm a man, I come at it from this perspective. No man can handle this. You cannot handle it. Amen. And we'll get out of here a lot quicker if you'll amen me. And I don't, I don't have to stop and do that myself. Because I'll, ha- I'll have to do that every once in a while. Just, just, you know, the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. So I've got to encourage myself up here. So now, you say, well, what are you going to do? I want to take you a little further than just that, than just flee. And I want to just show you some things tonight that I hope and pray will be very helpful to you out of the text. And the first thing is this. I want you to look at the implementation of temptation. How does this start? Where does this get such a hold of my life? How does this grab Samson and just pull him in? I want to give you seven things. Seven things in this first point. I've got three points. But I want to give you seven things, and I'll move through them quickly. But you really need a copy of God's Word and just kind of follow along with me as we go. When you come to this, I want you to see the first thing is this. You come to this woman who's a harlot. We're told her name in just a few verses, uh, but her name is Delilah. When you get to the root, if you go back to the Hebrew root of Delilah, the, the, it is Del-Al. And, and, and the meaning of Del-Al is extinguish. Now, who are we talking about? Shimshon, 
like the sun who meets up with extinguish. And she's going to put the light out in his life. Now watch this. Seven things. Number one, the first thing is this. Sin knows you. Now watch verse one. Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and he went into her. It was told to the Gazites saying, Samson has come here and they've surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate and he kept silent all all night long. Let us wait until the morning when it's like, then we'll kill him. And Samson lay until midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. This guy's just incredible. He's the Hulk. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the hill opposite Hebron. And after this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. He saw her, the Bible says in verse one, and he saw her and he went into her. And he thought, like most men, I know this woman. Now, just get it in your head, you don't. But he thought he knew this woman, but the fact of the matter was she knew him. That's the way it is with sin. We think we have all this stuff figured out. Well, listen, I've been in church long enough. I know, I, I know what sin is. I've got, you know, I've got a handle on all of this. But the fact of the matter is it knows you a whole lot better than you know it. It knows your name. It knows where you live. Do you remember back in Job chapter 1 where all the sons of God came before the Lord? And the Bible says, and Satan also came in. And the Lord looks up and he sees Satan coming in, walking there. And um, he calls out to him and he says, hey, devil, where you been? And the devil says, well, I've been walking to and fro in the earth. And God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, he is upright and blameless, fears God, and turns away from evil. In, in fact, let me show you something. If you've got, uh, if you've got your Bibles, just, just look over a few pages to Job chapter 1 because it's amazing how Satan answers this. He doesn't give him a direct yes on that. It, it's fascinating what he says. He doesn't say, yeah, I've seen him. Or you bet I know who he is. Or I've had my eye on him. He doesn't say anything like that. The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan goes immediately into something that he knows about Job. Satan says, does he fear you for nothing? He said, the fact of the matter is, you've got a hedge about him and a hedge about his house and a hedge about all his stuff. And you take that hedge down, and let me tell you something, he'll curse you to your face. Do you pick up on anything there? He knows Job. He doesn't just know Job, but he knows where Job lives, and he knows what Job has, and he knows what is closest to Job's heart, and he's got this thing on Job already figured out. You can be sure sin hasn't been up and down your street. It's been up and down the halls of your home. Let me give you the second thing, and the second thing is this, sin is pleasurable. Nowhere in the Word of God will you ever find that sin is not pleasurable. You can get over into Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25, and it'll tell you this, that it is enjoyable for a season. Sin has pleasure for a time span. There is a time span put on it 
And, and in that time span, it is great fun. In fact, you come to verse 5 of Judges chapter 16 and you read these words. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, this is to Delilah, enticing. You see that word entice right there? That word entice means to lure. It gives this, this sense of sexual pleasure. Entice him, seduce him, get him excited. Uh, do whatever it takes to pull him in. That's the way temptation is. It's beautiful. It's exciting. It, it, it sets the dopamine off. It, it gets you just, um, it gets your heart pounding. I, that's all I can say. It's appealing. Sin is always appealing. If it were appalling, you'd have nothing to do with it. But it never comes in an appalling form. It always comes in an appealing form. And the third thing is this, is sin is deceitful. It not only knows you, it's not only pleasurable, but it is deceitful. Look at the end of verse 5. Look at what she's going to do. The Bible says, this is what we want you to do. We want to figure out how we can overpower him, how we can blind him, and how we can afflict him. Now, if Samson could have seen into her heart, but he couldn't, he couldn't get past her lips and her hips and everything that was visible to him to look into what was behind all of that. But if he could, he could have seen this was what she was a part of. She didn't care for him. She didn't love him. She was going to see how she could overpower him, bind him, and afflict him. It's always deceptive. It always comes looking like it's our best friend. I think of so many men in the ministry who have lost their ministry because of the deception of sin. What they wanted to do with Samson was this. They wanted to, they wanted to take him and mount him up on the halls of the temple of the Philistines like a 10-point buck so they could walk by and say, look who we defeated. And he didn't have a clue. It's deceptive. Let me give you the fourth thing. And the fourth thing is this. It's persistent. She comes in verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. My Lord, she tells him what she wants to do right there. I'm going to get to that in just a few moments. But she was persistent. Of course, he says, well, get some fresh cords and you know, bind me with those. And when you do that, uh, that's the secret. Well, he breaks out of that. You know the story. She comes in verse 10. She says, oh, come on and tell me. He says, get some new ropes. You got to have something thicker, but they've got to be new ropes. Well, they tie him up with that and he breaks out of that. And she comes in verse 13 and she says, you've lied to me. Just tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my hair, here's Samson. He's the guy that came up with dreadlocks. He said, just give me some dreads and that's it. I'm powerless at that point. And so she weaves his hair into these seven dreads and there's nothing. He breaks loose of that. And then you know what happens with the rest of that. She just keeps on and on. She is persistent with this. It just keeps coming persistently over and over. It's deceitful. It's pleasurable. But now watch this. She comes in verse 16 and she pressed him. Sin is also patient. It's not only persistent, but it's also patient and it waits 
and it waits and it waits and it waits. And so she's waiting until he's going to tell her. What's the secret? She pressed him daily with her words, persistence and patience. I don't know if you like football, but about the time I was graduating college, um, so was Michael Singletary graduating. He was graduating from Baylor. And I went to Furman, and that was a Baptist school, and Baylor's a Baptist. They're supposedly both Baptist schools. Um, but um, back in the day they were. He graduates, and I, I don't know if you followed his career. He's a great linebacker at Baylor. He went to the Chicago Bears. Uh, he went to the Bears, and he became what was known as the heart of the Bears' defense. He was brutal. He like a freight train. Um, in fact, they called uh, him and those other linebackers back there for the Chicago Bears. In the middle 80s, they called them the Monsters of the Midway. And this is what Michael Singletary would do. Um, they'd start a game. He'd get over somewhere, and he'd kind of hide down low behind the line, and he'd keep his eye on that running back. And one of the first opening plays, he would come out of the blind side on that running back, and he'd just cream him and just throw him to the ground. And he would stand over. He'd do this every single game. He'd stand over that running back that was lying on the ground, and he would say, I'm going to be right here all day long. That's a bad dude. <laughs> I'm going to be here, right here. I'm persistent, and I'm patient, and I'm going to knock your block off. There she is. That's sin right there. But now watch this. Sin's also clever. It comes in verse 15, she said to him, how can you say, now notice this, she never says she loves him because she doesn't. But she comes and she says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You don't really love me. You don't care about me. Look at how clever this is. It is amazing to watch sin, how it will manipulate how it will spin, how it will turn a situation. You've deceived me three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It's clever. She comes and she begins to appeal to him. You can just imagine how she's saying this. And he's going to break. And he's going to tell her. Because sin is all of these things, but it's one more thing. It makes you senseless, and it delights in your pain. She comes and wants to know what is the secret. He's going to tell her because he loses his mind, and I'm going I'm to show you that in a second. But she does it all for the sake of creating pain in his life. Look at this in verse 9, 19. She made him sleep on her knees. She called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. And then, look at this. Then she began to afflict him. Now that's an amazing thing. The word there, afflict, means to ridicule, to belittle, to mock. I, I don't know what it is and I don't know why Satan does this. But the fact of the matter is, it's not enough for Satan just to tempt you. It's not enough when you yield to sin and give yourself to that temptation and you sin in rebellion against a loving God. 
But Satan's not through when that happens. He wants to mock you. A number of years ago, many of you are too young to remember this. You've probably heard about it, but a number of years ago, I was invited to speak in Branson, Missouri, in one of the theaters there. Uh, There were all these uh, Christian singing groups that were coming together, and they were appearing in one of these theaters that's there in Branson, and they asked me, would I come up and preach? They said, would you just take 30, 35 minutes just preaching at the end, just give a gospel invitation? So Deb and I flew in to Branson, enjoyed the time there, was backstage listening to all these Christian artists as they sang, and came my time to go out. It was very much like this. Came out, and I stood, and I preached, and I don't even remember what I was preaching, but I do remember, and I can't see you very well, and, and I don't ever think your mind is racing so much faster than you're speaking that I don't stop and think, oh, well, here's so-and-so, and here's so-and-so, and that's somebody here. But there was a man sitting on the front row, almost dead center, right in the front, that uh, started to cry, and everybody was moving. And I looked down, they were giving him Kleenex, and you know somebody had put their arm around him, and I was watching him crying. I, I began to look at him, and it was kind of dark like this, and I I thought, well, I know who that guy is. And as I looked, it it hit me all of a sudden, that's Jim Baker. And it was right after Jim Baker had been released from prison and he had moved to Branson and had been remarried and he was trying to start a ministry all over again. I don't say this to belittle him in any way, but I looked at that and I thought to myself, I'd heard about all of the things that had happened to him and how the woman that he had allegedly been with had been in Playboy and she'd been on Howard Stern's radio program and how they had laughed and how they had mocked and how they had belittled and how they had ridiculed this man because he sinned. That's exactly what Satan wants to do to you in sin. It's not enough for you to yield to the sin. He wants to embarrass you in the cause of Christ. That's how sin starts. But let me show you what the implications are. I've given you now the implementation, but now look at the implications. What happens out of all of this? Let me show you four things that you'll find through this whole passage. Number one is you you become just senseless. Sin makes you senseless. You can't think straight when you're involved in sin. If you read this story to a child, you're going to have a child tell you, hey, I know the outcome. I know what's coming. It, it, It doesn't take rocket science intelligence to figure out what's going on here and where it's going to end up. You read the story of Samson and children can say, he'd better stop. Why is he he talking? Why is he saying this? Why does he keep going back and telling her something else and something else and something else until he tells her the secret of his strength? If you go to a very important book called Brunson's Supposition, Volume 1, Sin makes you mentally, spiritually schizophrenic. 
And I want to tell you that's where our generation is tonight. The word schizophrenia, and it's not anything funny. I dealt with a lady just two Sundays ago that was in our service that her husband came up and said, my wife here suffers from schizophrenia. Schizo in the Greek means to divide, to separate, to cut in two. Phrenos, you come to the Greek word kephale is head, uh, nous is mind, and phrenos means the thinking process. It's how you think. And so when you put the two words together, it means the thinking process is cut, it's divided. In, in other words, there's something going on in the mind that separates uh, these two things, the thinking process, it's not rational. That's why someone who suffers from schizophrenia, uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't believe we'll run for president. They, they get it in their mind that they are secretly the president. And that's how it splits the thinking like that. Well, let me tell you something. Sin does the same thing. Sin does that in our mind. When sin gets into our lives, we yield to this. We're in rebellion against God. Listen, we come to the place where our thinking spiritually is split. We, we, we understand, listen, this is what God's word says, but, but this is what I'm involved in and this is what I'm doing. And I know, does the word of God tell me that sex was created by God? Yes, it was created by God. Does the word of God tell me that he's placed boundaries on it? Yes, but listen, God gave me an incredibly... Um, um, difficult sex drive and, and after all God wants me happy and after all God wants me to find somebody and after all God wants me to be with this person and I, I, in order to be with them I've got to do this but the word of God says this and that's what sin does it divides it right there till I know what the word of God says but I keep giving into this and giving into this and giving into this and it makes no sense And that's Samson. And that's our generation. I know what the word of God says, but listen, that surely can't be me and the girl that I'm seeing. It surely can't be me and what's going on in my life. Doesn't God want me happy? This is what makes me happy. Let me tell you something, folks. God is far, far more interested in your holiness than he is your happiness. Far more interested in it. Because for you to honestly be happy, we must be like Christ. The second thing is this. It gives you this false sense of security. Look again at verse 19. She made him sleep on her knees. Now get this picture in your mind. She's sitting down. He's got to kneel down there and he lays his head over in her lap. He's told her now the secret of his strength. You know, cut my hair off. A razor's never touched my head. I'm a Nazarite from birth and I've never had my hair cut. And so he just kneels down there and he puts his head. Boy, if that isn't a picture of false security, tell me what is. Sin will give you that. It's okay. You're safe. You're secure. Nothing's going to happen to you. Yeah, fat chance. But it gives you a false confidence as well. This is just beyond. You really don't think people think this way, but they do. 
Look at verse 20. Samson said, or she said to Samson, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. Now I want you to see something here. Do you hear what he just says right there in verse 20? If you go back up to verse 17 to the end of it, he says, if I'm shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and like any other man. But he does it anyway and he says when he wakes up, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. Don't tell me sin doesn't affect the thinking process. That's stupid. I don't know any other way to say it, but it's just stupid. Well, I can get out of this. It's a false confidence. It's a false security. But the last thing is the most disturbing of all. It's a dead spirit. Listen to what he said. When you come to verse 20 and the end of it, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. I love the way the King James states that. And the King James says this, he wist not that the Lord had departed. You know, I wonder how many sit in the house of God never, ever realizing that the Spirit of God You say, well, you know, I'm depressed now, let's go. You know, that's about as low as you can get. Is there anything good that's going to come out of this? Listen, let me. Now, folks, everything I've done is introduction. I'm going to preach now because I'm going to come to the last of this. Let me, let me tell you, here comes the vindication of submission to the real master. This guy's been following the most despicable master. How many of us in this place tonight, in all honesty, in our lives, we have followed a despicable master? And we're miserable because we, listen, our thinking is messed up. We've been deceived and we know, we've finally woken up to the fact that, listen, I've been deceived. Sin has lied to me. This isn't what's best for my life. You say, is there any hope? That, oh, Lord, have mercy. This is the good stuff. Now, look, sit up, pay attention, get a Bible, watch this. There's this vindication of submission. When I come to the Lord and I submit myself to his lordship, that he's master, he's the master I'm going to follow. Listen, he will honor that. Because there are a lot of folks in church, I have them all the time, come, God can't use me. I've done this, I've been in this, I've been here, I can't get free of this, I can't, I can't stop doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to this, I'm hooked on this. All of it, God can't love me, God can't forgive me. Yes, he can. And yes, he will. And he can use you no matter what you've done. When there is a submission to him as master. Now watch, this is good part. Y'all need to sit up, smile. Take hold, listen, grab on here. And I'm going to show you just a little bit. It's, it's not going to get pretty for a moment, but just kind of watch when you come to this. You're going to see what happens to him here. They get him. The Philistine seized him, verse 21. They gouged out his eyes. He'll never look at pornography again. He'll never lust on another woman. He'll never look and lust for another woman. He'll never see another woman again. 
They brought him down to Gaza. That's where he had wandered. That's the very heart of the Philistine territory. And they bound him with bronze chains. He won't be wandering anymore. He can't go back into the land of God's people, back into Israel. He can't go to Timnah. He can't get out of Gaza. He's all chained up. And he was a grinder in the prison. Uh, no more no more admiration for uh, Samson. He is now an object of ridicule. Verse 23, look at what this does. They knew who he was. This is why they wanted, this is one of the major reasons why the Philistines wanted him was because he was one of, one of the Jews. He was one of God's people. He was the deliverer. They knew what he was about. They had seen deliverers before. They knew the history here. But now look at what the world does. When a man of God or a woman of God falls, just listen to what the world does. Verse 23, they rejoice. Verse 24, they praise their God. Verse uh, 25, they're in high spirits. I mean, buddy, they're, they're excited. You get to the end of verse 25, and it says this, he entertained them. Watching God's people fall is sport for the world. It's like turning into ESPN 43. Let's watch the Christians fall. It's great entertainment. And then you come down and watch at the end of verse 27, Samson was amusing them. They laughed. They were like sitting around at a rodeo. Like sitting around at a basketball game. They were cheering. They were amused. They were entertained. And this is what happens. Beginning in verse 28, you're going to see three things that really just sum this whole thing up. Three things. The first thing is this. You're going to find on the lips of Samson what you cannot find anywhere else. And if you go back to chapter 15, he prays to the Lord, but he never calls on the name of the Lord. He comes now and he mentions the name of God. Now, this is what I want you to see. Look at the text. The text says this, Samson called to the Lord. Do you see that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the word Yahweh or Jehovah. And said, O Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, that's Adonai. Do you know what Adonai is? It's the name master. He calls God master. He's been following a despicable master, but now he turns and he comes and he says, O master, Yahweh, capital G, capital O, capital D, Jehovah. O master, Jehovah. That's the first thing is that he calls out on God and he says, you are the master I follow. The second thing is this. He prays for something he's never had to pray for before. He prays for strength. He prays for power. He's never had to pray for it. God's always given it to him. Now he comes and he prays and he says, God, this time give me strength. I've wasted the gift. I've wasted the talent. I've wasted the time. I've wasted my life. But now, God, I'm asking you, give me back that ability. Give me back that talent. Give me that strength that I might glorify you with it. He prays and he asks for God what he's never asked for God before. 
And the third thing is the most amazing thing of all. In verse 3, he says, let me die. He comes and he says, I'm willing now to be sacrificed to do your will. What's happening is this. Verse 26, Samson is blind now. He's in chains. And here's the pitiful thing. There's a little boy that they brought to Samson to lead him around. And Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now just watch this. The boy takes him over. Samson in that state of blindness reaches out and he feels these massive pillars of the temple of the god Dagon, the god of the Philistines, and he puts his arms up on these two. Look at this. And he says, I'm willing to be sacrificed to destroy this evil. Is that not what Jesus did for you? He put his hand on one pillar, which was the pillar of sin, and on the other pillar, which was the pillar of the law. And if you're here tonight and you're living in rebellion against God, sin is against you and the law is against you. But praise God that when Jesus died, his blood covered your sin and his blood satisfied the law. And that's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. He sacrificed himself to cover your sin and to satisfy the law. But you have to receive that. Would you bow your heads with me? Just your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I have no idea what God's saying to you right now. I don't know where you are. I don't know what despicable master you may be following. But I want to tell you that if it's any master other than Jesus Christ, it's despicable. The end is going to be disastrous. The good news of the gospel is this. Is that Jesus Christ can save you. If you'll come and receive him as master of your life. You say, I, don't, I really don't know what to do with that. How do I do that? How do I go about it? I'm struggling. Let me get all of this. You'll never get it better on your own. You can't get better on your own. If you could get better on your own, you would have already done that. He really will accept you just like you are. That's how good a God he is. That's how much he does love you. And he tells you he loves you. We love him because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever will, that whosoever is you. Right where you're sitting tonight, you can say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you. I ask you to forgive me. I've been so foolish. But I'm so thankful that you died on a cross for me. That you forgave my sins. That you satisfied the law. Something I could not do. And I receive your free gift of forgiveness and mercy and grace. Not just for this life, but for all of eternity. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. A worship leader is going to come and he's going to lead us in the time of worship. I want you to respond to the Lord. Whatever God has laid on your heart, whatever he's saying to you, you respond to him as the Holy Spirit speaks and as we worship.